All I can say is wow. Today's podcast will feature Autumn and Chris Bennett. At Care in the Load, we often talk about the power of stories and the power of owning your own story. With social media, our lives have become somewhat transparent. Everything that we ate for dinner last night or shared videos of our family's latest vacation have become something that we've been able to easily recreate. There are some things, though, that maybe we wouldn't want to recreate. Those are the times in our lives that we might not be very proud of. Decisions that were made that might have created hurt, distrust, or loss of relationships. Those are the uncomfortable moments we sometimes wish we could just sweep under the rug. Owning your story can sometimes be difficult or maybe even embarrassing, especially when personal tragedy is involved. If we can't learn from our decisions and actions, though, the experience becomes an even greater tragedy. Autumn and Chris have been friends of ours for about 15 years, and I've got to tell you, they own their story. It's a hard one. It's one of broken trust in marriage and almost impossible decisions that both of them had to make after confronting the truth of addiction. This is part one of a two-part conversation with the Bennetts. Hi everyone, it's Mark and Annette with Karen the Load, and uh, we're sure excited tonight to have some of our best friends with us uh, here. We've got uh, Autumn and Chris Bennett, who we've known for probably, I'm guessing, about maybe 13, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. There. And uh, when we moved about five years ago, uh, one of the hardest things about a move, as you know, is leaving friends. And even though we're only about 15 minutes away, it's kind of hard sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially times during uh, this last four or five months as we've been kind of quarantined. But we're sure glad to have you with us uh, this evening. Thanks for we're, having us. We're, we're glad to be here. here. Yeah. Thank you so much. So let me let me share a few thoughts uh, with uh, with you about uh, Autumn and uh, Chris and uh, our association. First of first of all, I got to tell you that uh, one of the things I love about these two are the fact that they'd like to do some of the things that we like to do. Uh, they're big hikers. Uh, you hike every morning. I and, do. And uh, some of the uh, photographs that you've taken uh, are just absolutely beautiful. Where, where are some of the places you've really enjoyed hiking this year? Um, the Pfeiffer Horn. Uh, usually, the, like the amazing peaks are going to be the Pfeiffer Horn. Uh, we just finished Mount Nebo, so the highest mm. peak in the Wasatch Front. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we did that. And Not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, you've so been on many of those hikes, too, though. I've been on some, some of the smaller ones, yeah. Yeah. And then Davenport Hill, which is like if you want to ever go see like a ton of flowers, like and I mean a ton of flowers, it looked like God took a handful of seeds and just shook them up like a whole bunch of different kinds and then just spread them out everywhere. And they are like gorgeous. They're just lit up everywhere. And, and I've seen I've seen the pictures that you've uh, you've taken with those there professionally. These weren't just with your telephone that you took these pictures. Yes, they're all with oh, my iPhone. Really? They're, they're all with my iPhone X. Yeah. No kidding. Well, I'm very impressed. Uh <laughs> There, but but uh, you you love to hike, and one of the things I love about the two of you is you like to laugh and smile yep. as well. You we do. That's a big part of your marriage, isn't it? It yes. is. Yeah. There. It's really the only way to get through life is is to be able to laugh. I remember some of our most difficult times, and and others would be joining us, and and after they said to me, "But you guys were laughing. How can you laugh?" And I said, "That's how we survive." Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, very it often is. it is, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, last week we had a, a podcast about uh, the importance of smiling, about uh, laughing and uh, having an attitude of just pure happiness. And we know that uh, every day we don't have the happy disposition that maybe we'd like to have. Some days are difficult. Some weeks are difficult. Some months, maybe even some years are difficult. Yet yeah. we find we find that uh, the commonality that uh, allows us to at least try to heal, try to have the hope, try to recover sometimes from things really comes from being able to, to laugh. You know, as we begin our podcast today, I wanted to start with a quote by Brene Brown. And I know that you like oh, uh, to read awesome. Brene Brown. We, we love to read love Brene, Brene Brown as well. We love her. And one of the things that she often talks about is uh, owning... Owning uh, your your story. She says that uh, owning your story is the bravest thing that you'll ever do. Now, that's an important uh, quote, given the subject that we wanted to talk about uh, this evening. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now that the uh, subject that we're going to be talking about is a rather sens- sensitive discussion that we're going to have. It's a discussion that, uh, you know, there's there's some heartache, there's some happiness. And uh, I'm glad, as I know you, that uh, the time that we're dealing with right now is the happiness part. But it always hasn't been that way. No. Nope. There. And so uh, I, I don't care who starts, but uh, actually, Chris, why don't, why don't you share and uh, kind of give us a little bit of an impetus of your story? Yeah. So for me, it was just I was introduced to pornography at a young age. I was like nine or ten years old. And then... Um, just off and on the rest of the time, the rest of my life, just dealing with that um, as it came about, you know, I had taken on any opportunity I had to look at it. And then as Autumn and I got closer and, and we got engaged and stuff, I mean, I never disclosed to her that I ever had an issue with it. Um, and because to me, I was like, as soon as I get married, I won't even have to worry about it anymore because I'll be married. Mm-hmm. That'll be good. Uh, but I was very wrong on that. And most addict, most sex addicts is, is that's what their thinking is too. I think that's just the adversary's way of saying, Hey, you'll be okay. You don't need to say anything, you know, keep it to yourself. And so we got married and within, I don't know how long it took before I was looking at it again, just because it was obviously not as readily available, but I uh, started looking at it again and um, took the opportunity when internet came out, started looking at it a lot more. And as I started on a mortgage company, I started looking at it a lot, just almost on a daily basis. And because there was nobody, I was all by myself, nobody's in the office. And pretty soon, within about three months, that wasn't enough. And so I uh, started an affair with one of the, my uh, ladies that was coming in as an account rep for a mortgage company and uh, started that affair. And that carried on for about 20 months. And then there was multiple affairs within that time frame. And I got caught for one, and I was actually a young man's president at the time. Um, got uh, I was um, released from the calling, and then I had a disciplinary court, my first disciplinary court. In your church. Yep. To, mm-hmm. to, and I was praying as we're sitting there waiting for them to, to decide what to do with me and, and the whole situation. I was praying that they would excommunicate me from the church because I was only disclosing the one affair that I got caught for and nothing else. And then um, I 
was just praying because I, I I figured, you know what? If they excommunicate me, it'll be great because then I don't have to disclose all these other affairs, just the one. And I could be rebaptized in a year, be totally forgiven of my sins, and be totally good. And that's not the case. Can I can I stop you just for a second? Yep. Totally warped thinking. He'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Very warped thinking. But doesn't that warped thinking come from all the addiction and yes. and the years of covering up that we kind of have this twisted way of of thinking that's um, just not correct. Yeah. Well, it's like yep. Brene Brown said. You know, you you need to own your story, and you were not owning your story at that time. No, no. There, but you know, one of the, before we get too far into our uh, our our chat here, I want to say something else, and that is is that to the two of you. As you hear more of this story, you'll you'll recognize that uh, there's some healing that's taken place there as well. But uh, as sensitive as a discussion and subject as this is, the two of you go out and uh, do uh, fireside chats with church groups. You you do other types of uh, meetings, helping those that have uh, addictions yep. to be able to uh, recover and to heal. From those, uh, from those, and so this is not a new kind of a conversation that we're having just over the table here. No, no. it's not. We've no. been do- we've been speaking for a long time since two thousand ten, twelve. No, well, when we started speaking, yeah, two thousand eleven, two thousand ten, somewhere mm-hmm. around there is when we started speaking, and it just kind of kept going from there. And and we and do we firesides use, yeah. and youth firesides and speaking at up at, uh, um, uh seminaries like mm-hmm. youth seminaries and stuff like that and just talking and sharing our story sure so the focus asked. was the youth we we've had a variety we've had adult groups and youth groups um we start we talk with people that are just starting recovery um spouses that might i talk to a lot of spouses that are going through vitriol trauma personally um chris talks to a lot of men it's it's been interesting how things have kind of taken shape for us like we didn't plan to share our story in any way shape or form we were actually asked to not share our story for a time and so when we were finally asked to share our story I was very shocked like how do I share this story but it's been a good it's been a blessing for us and when we are asked you know I'll say one more thing as well and that that is that the story that uh, you're telling this evening is not a story about a good person and a bad person here. It's not that at all. In right. fact, uh, sometimes the choices that we make are very poor choices there. And uh, the opportunity from those poor choices really lies in how we react and how we deal with those choices and, and how we uh, try to rectify those who we hurt there. And so we're going to be talking about uh, that there. But I think it was important to, to share that foundation a little bit there because uh, but because again this this is something that uh is a very serious serious yeah. consideration here and uh, we'll you know and we're going to hear more from Autumn as well as to how she dealt in this marriage with these uh these difficult issues but mm-hmm. go ahead and continue your story there okay um so i was actually only disfellowshipped during that time so so uh membership was restricted a little bit and was not excommunicated, but then I continued an affair that I was having with a buddy's wife. And so he ended up finding out later. I was, I mean, this is months later, um, almost a year later. And just month, the, he called the, his wife when I was with her and she like, I was just dropping her off. We just left the alcohol store and she's like, Cause you know, he also had started drinking. Yeah, I started drinking. Mm. 
So, so I wait to numb. Yeah, I was just numbing whatever I could, and I I was seriously numb to feeling. Uh, it like I I just I didn't have feelings towards Autumn. Like I didn't love her anymore. I didn't want to be around her anymore. Um, and that was me just justifying, you know. But I, I was just like just totally numb. I was numb to the church, uh, all those feelings. And but when he found out about it, obviously he called my wife and and called out and let her know. And by the time that I arrived home, um, Autumn or my mom had called me. She beat me to my house, and she's like, "You need to call nine one one because Autumn tried to kill, Autumn tried to kill herself." And so I ran inside and picked up Autumn off of the floor, and she was just in and out of consciousness. And I was holding her, just praying. And I was like, God, I will stop everything if you just let her live. Um, she spent three days in the ICU and then another week in the LDS hospital. And I slowly started coming out and uh, with with the affairs that I was um, having. She would ask me and she she knew, but she didn't know. But then she really, by that time, she's like, okay, what are you having an affair with so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah. What about so-and-so? Yes. Um, so I started coming clean and really had to do a whole lifestyle change. And we started an addiction recovery program right after that. I didn't, I mean, that was like the forefront of sexual addiction and we didn't even know what that really was and that I even had an addiction at all. And I remember even talking to her dad one time. I'm like, I don't have a, a sexual addiction. He goes, I think you totally do. I'm like, Oh, he called so you out. Tur- turns out I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, there's a couple things that, you know, I love, not love, but just have stood out to me with this. One, all that distorted thinking. That's yeah. really what was going on was this distortion in your thinking process of if I do this, then this. Or if I drink this, then it'll numb this, so it won't hurt anybody. But in reality, when Autumn attempted to take her life, it shattered all that distortion. Yeah. It, for a time it For shattered. a time. For a short time it did. It's hard to look at yourself. Yeah. It's hard to look at our our pain, what causes us to screw up, literally, and, you know, all of that stuff. And yeah. so here we can for a time, but until we really find deep down the reason for is to heal is for us, that's where I believe that that long-term lasting healing can take place. Yes. Right. I totally agree. So, so Autumn, let's let's kind of take the story at this point. Okay. With with you. Okay. Uh, you were in the hospital. All kinds of thoughts, obviously, going through your mind. Yeah. Um, my parents were very angry, and rightfully so. And they were like, "We'll do whatever it takes to get you out of your home. If you decide to leave, we'll." get you a place to stay. If you want to go back to school, we'll help you with that. If you need a job, we'll... And I just said I need to pray about what I need to do. And we had just moved from one ward into another. And so I actually... We're LDS. Sorry, we haven't affiliated our religion. I hope that's okay that's that we do. That's just fine. Um, we had transitioned from one ward into another. And so I actually had both of my bishops stop in and visit me while I was in the hospital. And both of them said, um, we will support whatever decision you make. And you need to make this decision based on yourself, not what others are telling you, not what outside influence, just between you and the spirit. Because let's be honest, if you had listened to everyone else, 
you wouldn't been the you would not have been in the marriage. No, no. I would have left. We would be divorced for sure. I would have totally left. Um, and so I prayed. It, I mean, it sounds really weird because your institute. I was in a institution, mm-hmm. and I'm praying. I'm sharing a bed a room with this other person, and I'm like on my knees crying and praying, just trying to fill the spirit on what how to be guided. And I had this very distinct impression that I was supposed to stay with Chris because of the glimpses of the man I could see him as in our marriage already. And I knew that Heavenly Father would bless our lives. Now, I didn't know what I was signing up for when I made that decision, but it was very distinct on my heart. Um, And I knew I was going to stay and I had angry parents and supportive family members too. They're like, okay, we'll support you. Um, That kind of started our recovery. And like he said, he started going to a sexual addiction therapist and then he ended his practice and said, I have this program that I want to refer you to. And he was referred to the program and then he had another disciplinary court and was excommunicated from our church. And then we, we walked into this program and the therapist walked up to me and said, do you remember me? I'm like, I have no idea who you are. And he this is like up, two weeks after my, my excommunication. And he ended up being the therapist that was in Chris's disciplinary court. And Chris said, there's something about this man that I'm going to know him. And I was like, okay. He was the only person that had asked me specifically in that disciplinary court how I was doing. Um, and I can remember somebody in that disciplinary court saying, you just need to forgive. I was just heartbroken because I'm like, how do you just just forgive? Right. Like when you're so in the beginning process of recovery. Um, so we started a recovery program and... I did everything in my power in that recovery program to heal my own life. I did all my assignments. I We had workbooks that we um, had to like dig deep into our lives for. I did everything full force. Um, we were meeting with our bishop and stake president often. I did that as well. Um, but the problem was is that I was also doing the work for Chris to heal. And you were trying I, to control my addiction. Yeah, I had a lot of co. I'm using codependent. Um, I did quotation marks. Air quotes. Um, <laughs> it's not that anymore. It's called codependence. Or um, sometimes women in our circumstances will um, betrayal trauma will cause women to do some of the things that they do just out of automatic response because of the trauma that they've experienced. The betrayal trauma response. Yeah. Um, so for 18 months, I was doing everything to try and get us to work. And then I can remember my dad had taught me how to hack into a computer. And so I hacked into his computer. I just showed up at his office one day. I'm like, hey, I need to get on your computer. He's like, what? And I'm going to hack into your computer. And he goes, you don't know how. I'm like, yes, I do. And I found some things on his computer. Um, I had feelings that he was still lying to me that he wasn't being truthful or faithful and I had talked to my therapist about it and he said Autumn he will not be able to live a dual life forever he'll either come clean with everything and tell you everything or he will end up taking his life which 
was huge. I was like, okay. And so I just started praying daily. Okay, Heavenly Father, can you please show me um, what I need to do with my life? And I can remember um, one day kneeling down and just sobbing in my kitchen and praying to God to please just take the feelings that I was feeling. The overwhelm, the overwhelming that I was, I was checking on him all the time. I was looking at his phone all the time. I was just constantly, I call it crazy making. It's just nor it is normal behavior for a wife, um, in the beginning. And Heavenly Father touched my heart and said, Autumn, if you give me Chris and you let him own this addiction, I will heal your life. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I was scared because I thought I'm going to be divorced. I have no idea what this is going to, where this is going to lead. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I am actually going to do that. I'm going to give Chris to God and I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to go down this path and hopefully at some point we meet in the middle and a couple months after that we were with our daughter and a group of little girls at a movie and a church movie and Chris had the spirit distinctly tell him you need this back in your life you need your, to have your family church. needs you and I, at that point I was like I don't know what I want to do with the church I don't know what I want to do with my family and and it was it was very distinct that your family needs you, and you need to be an active member of the church again, and you need to get the the priesthood back, and they they need you to provide ple- blessings for that for your family. And though it took me about almost two months to get the courage enough to come and talk to her, so almost the same time that she's getting that confirmation from God to say, "Hey, I've got this. You you give me Chris." And he knew what he was doing. He's, he's had this planned out, this guidance for us. And and I, I now I know why, <laughs> yeah. because of this road that we're on now. But um, at the time, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to tell her. So I told her everything from growing up through the rest of my life. I, I just laid everything out. I told her everything. In a therapy setting. We sure. didn't just disclose it at home. And that was the... It was really interesting. You talk about that healing, that rapid healing. As soon as that disclosure happened, a lot of things started falling into place. Um, We started checking in every day. We have so physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, and self-care. We were checking in every day in those five areas. Um, For about six months, he was telling me that he was having a slip every day. And after the six months, I and I would be like, thank you very much for telling me. And then I'd go out in my car and scream. And sometimes she wasn't so nice. Yeah, I'd be like, you're a jerk. Rightfully so. And then after about six months, I said, you're not utilizing your group. You're not utilizing your relapse prevention sheet. You're, I basically called him out and I wasn't nice. And... Um, some things started to click and he started to see more sobriety. He wasn't white knuckling it. He, t- he calls it white knuckling. Um, and he would like make it a month and get a one month chip and then make it not 90 days and get that. And then he would slip. And so he, um, after all of that kind of happened, he just healing just started taking place pretty quickly for our family and with us. So, 
Can I share something that you uh, put on Facebook? Sure. Uh, probably about five or six months ago, I was really impressed. And I, and I should probably say as well that uh, I, I knew you during this time. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew the struggles that you were going through there. And, and uh, I, I'm a watcher of people. And uh, I, I watched very closely every time I would see the two of you. And uh, it was during that time that you started to getting to really know each other, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Yeah. And uh, it was during that time that I started seeing some healing take place. It didn't happen quickly, though. And it took a long time. But one of the things that, uh, Autumn, you said in a uh, post, and, and I think you're a lot like me when it comes to healing, I love, I love to write. And uh, sometimes my writing takes me to a place where I begin to heal. Me too. And uh, you said this. You said, I wanted to talk a little bit about fasting. What is fasting for you, first of all? It's really hard. (laughs) But um, it's been a really... I don't know why I'm crying. (laughs) Um, I've seen a lot of miracles from fasting. Um, in my own life, um, it's really interesting. I can like remember specific fasts for him or for our children and having those prayers answered. Some of my fasts along with prayer have taken years to answer, but I, it's a really important part of my life. Um, I don't necessarily feel great when I do it. But I do feel great spiritually. So fasting for you is more than just going without food or drink. Yeah. What What other things incorporate your fasting experience? Um, usually when I fast, I try and read my scriptures and do some pondering. Um, I'll read articles. Um, I talk to people. It's really interesting. Sometimes I've had like thoughts to speak with somebody um, while I'm fasting or an impression to listen to certain music while I'm fasting or walk while I'm in a fast just to kind of be present with God. In other words, that fasting experience puts us in a position where we can listen yeah. uh, for those things that might be harder to hear yeah. in everyday life. Yeah. So knowing that, uh, here's what you said. I wanted to talk a little bit about fasting. 14 years ago, my life hit an all-time low, and by low... I mean the lowest of low. I found out about uh, an affair my husband was having with a friend. It shattered my world so much that I tried to take my own life. God had other plans, though. For many months and years, I spent much time in prayer and fasting for our marriage, our family, my heart, and my husband. And then I'd go to work. My husband went to work, and God went to work. I love that. It's it's all three of you were working together. It wasn't just the two of you. Yeah. You, you put God into the equation. And you were working for a unified purpose. Even though you had your own job to do, your own you were in your own lanes. Yeah. It came together and God was that connecting point. That triangle. triangle. Heavenly Father's at the top and then you two were at the bottom working together. Working in your lanes with him and the miracles. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, there's no interruption here. It's a it's a great conversation. And so, speaking of God, you said that He showed us through earthly angels how we could live our lives. 
counselors, 12-step programs, our ecclesiastical leader. He showed up through family and friends and into our lives that showed love, support, and compassion. He healed our hearts. And this is one I know that you've got something you want to say about. One broken piece at a time. You know, I love that concept. Some healing really started to take place for me when I was um, preparing a presentation for women. And and we were talking about the woman at the well and how, you know, here she was. From the New Testament. From the New Testament. The first person that Jesus Christ told who he was, right? And, and she was a broken woman. And, right. and anyway, all of this stuff. And as I was pondering and preparing and, and thinking of what could I offer a message of hope and how can this be? And I started to think of myself and my brokenness. And then I, I thought for some random reason, which, well, I know why it was, but, you know, all of a sudden this God put these thoughts into my, into my heart and in my soul about our son that passed away and his scars and how proud he was of his scars. And he carried around these glossy eight by 11 so he could show everybody these really yucky wounds and scars that I couldn't stand to look at. He was proud of him. It brings up pain for me. And I thought, what is the difference here? I hide my scars. He's showing his to the world. Proud and, of his scars. And proud of his scars. And then, and it actually was through some conversations with, with these women and this discussion that I was leading, and they said it showed what he overcame. And, and then I thought, huh. And then we talked a little bit further, and we talked about, well, who puts these broken pieces together? And we talked about the um, beautiful Japanese art of Kintsugi, and it's this precious metal that puts these pieces back together, which then makes it more valuable. Of, of a ceramic bowl. Of yeah. a ceramic bowl of some sort. And then I started seeing me and envisioning me as that broken piece of pottery. And whose precious metal began to put me back together? Right. And, and that's when that healing took place. Yeah. And so when you talk about one broken piece at a time, you know, that's that's a very vivid concept Yeah. Uh, for us there. And you went on to say that uh, Chris has had 11 years of sobriety. And you said that we both work really hard on recovery every day. And I'm going to ask you in a minute what that what that looks like 11 years later. Okay. Right. Uh, you said that we've come a long way, a long way indeed. I, I truly believe that fasting and prayer played a part in this healing. Then you said, I can testify I've watched miracles unfold in many ways. God repaired the breach and helped us to heal the brokenness. I believe God loves each and every one of his children, you said. You said, he shows up for us. He hears our prayers and knows our hearts. Fasting has always played a role in my life. It has helped me focus and heaven with heaven and its power. And then you went on to quote a scripture. Talking, you, you mentioned repairing the breach. And uh, you, you've you uh, shared this scripture here, Isaiah 58, 12, which says, And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. 
Help us understand what that means. Isaiah is kind of hard to understand, first of all. Yeah. Um, I actually had a friend read that to me when I was starting um, recovery, and I had a powerful experience. I had a therapist um, do kind of like a genealogy with addiction, and I can like how, gen- how, how generations of addiction have affected your life and your, mm. your family. And I did the assignment really well. <laughs> and she actually asked Chris and I to come stand and face each other. And she called people up that represented our families. And so I had a group of people standing with me. And I had Chris had a group of people standing with him. And we were facing each other. And she's like, you're repairing this brokenness. All of this is going to be healed. And it's going to go out. And heal the future. And then shortly after that, my friend read me that scripture and she said, you're the repair of the breach. You're repairing what's been broken and desolate and yucky and void of life. And you're repairing it to beauty and a sacred space. And you're spreading that out into generate future generations. And that is why I love that scripture so much. And I also believe you're repairing and healing the past yes, generations. I believe that so generational mm-hmm. healing is taking place through you too. I agree. So, lest you think that this is a healing all about uh, with with autumn, uh, that's not the case, Chris. There was some great healing that took place with you during this time as well. Absolutely. Tell us about that. Um, well, as I started making those lifestyle changes, uh, I I started. I started seeing myself of who I really am. Instead of this worthless, just too far gone to even feel God's love or to be close to Him, um, finally realizing that I'm a son of God and no matter where I'm at in my life, He loves me. And He's not going to love me anymore because I get better or, you know, because I'm I'm trying harder or because I'm working harder or because I'm I'm trying to do better. He just loves me because of who I am. So let me let me stop you there for a second. We again we, we started out with that quote with Brene Brown, owning your story is the bravest thing that you'll ever do. When did you begin to start owning your story? Was there a particular event or circumstance that uh, gave you that epiphany that you needed to change? Um, yeah, that Autumn talked to briefly about it when I was watching the, the movie that we were with our mm. daughter and her friends. And, and so as I heard, heard that and I knew that I needed to change, um, then I finally disclosed that to Autumn. But then really where it came to where we started helping other people and understanding that is I had a friend of mine that was in the Elder's Corn presidency and he was like, hey, I'm teaching lesson on Sunday. Would you and Autumn come and be willing to share your story? And we're like, sure, that'd be fine. You know, that'd be great. You know, we're showing, sharing it in Elder's Quorum and a group, of, a group of guys. And we set it up just like a 12-step program. Everybody's in a circle. And he shared a little bit of his story. And then Autumn and I shared our story. And it changed lives. There were numerous guys that went and talked to their ecclesiastical leader after that. Because they were like, wow, these these people, if they've made it made it this far, we can do it. I can do that. So they went and talked to their their bishop about it, and then um, I told my brother about it, and he's like, "Well, why don't you come and do it up here in in North Ogden?" I'm like, "Okay." So we did the same thing, and it was just 
incredible. Same responses. Then we talked to our state president, and um, wish <laughs> he called us in. So it's really weird. He had heard that we had spoken because they get phone calls and they're like, "Can these two people come speak to our?" Yes, yeah, whatever. And so he called us in and he sat us down. And um, Chris had been rebaptized. You'd been rebaptized, yeah. 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 He'd been rebaptized, and he was. We had been called to be facilitators for the LDS twelve step program, so we were sharing about that message of, of hope, hope. Yeah. yeah, along with that. And he said, "I think we'd like to ask you to speak to every word in our stake." And I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> <laughs> the elders' point. Every com- congregation. So I believe that there were about twelve congregations. Yes. In our area. Yep. Of men. So I went and sat in these men's group, men's meeting, uh, the only woman um, for 12 different, it took a year. We did it over a year. Mm-hmm. We went once a month to speak to those groups. And that kind of just was healing for me. And this is the thing. We, we've had a lot of people say, please don't share um What's the word? We don't want to praise the sin mm-hmm. or put focus on the sinner. We want to put focus on the Savior. And sometimes I would get angry at that, but I, I see where we're coming. Like, you know, we don't want to focus on the sin that happened. We don't want to focus on the and glorify. It was more like glorify the sin. Right. We want to use your story of hope in the atonement and... I really had to sit with that and be like, you're, you know what? Jesus did all this for us. He did it all. Yeah. He really. He did so much to help us in our. In our recovery. recovery. Like we owe that. It's the 12th step going out and, um, and not everybody shares their story like we do. And Mm -hmm. we don't share it unless we're asked. Like, I mean, we're open people. Right. It's just been a healing, it's been part of our healing process um, in the 12th step. But I just, my personal, rec- me recognizing in Chris is that he talks about how um, he would pray to God about what he wanted him to be. Like, show me the man that I'm supposed to be. Show me the husband that I'm supposed to be. Show me that I can fight for you today. And that's kind of when I was like, whoa, who is this person? Like his his heart had changed so much and so drastically. It was just a beautiful thing to see. So because of those prayers and those shifts and the dynamics of those questions, I think you had clarity because you were asking to see, you know, and you wanted to see, you wanted to feel instead of, before it was, what can I do to numb? What can I do to get rid of the pain? What can I do to hide? And all of a sudden, it's quite opposite. But I also look at the hope that would have taken place as you met with these group of men that, one, you could still stand up. You could still be on. You could become honest men right. and, and have a marriage that you only dreamed of because it was all a lie before that. Mm -hmm. But then for them to see you, Autumn, 
and the healing taking place in you. I would think that fear is kind of part oh, of what that, held people what back. Even more powerful because I'm there with, you know, I share my part of the story, but then she shares her side of the story and really what she went through. And, and people are like, and, and you know, our amazing. story isn't, I mean, our story. It's your story. Is our story. And everyone else has a, has their own story. And sometimes in this process, actually, most of the time, it doesn't end like ours. There's divorce. There's, there's messes. And I honor the stories that I hear with that because their story is just as beautiful. It's different. Um, but they've had healing, the healing power of the Savior just as much as I have. Right. And you're not discounting that. No. Plus, you're not saying, hey, my way is the only way. Yeah. Just like your bishops came to you and said, we will support you in the decision you make Yeah. with God. And so everybody has that agency. Yeah. There's a great quote that uh, you you had in, in one of your posts there as well from uh, uh, the author uh, Sheila Ray Gregor. And uh, she said, I hope that when people look at my marriage, they don't think she has a great marriage because she chose the right guy or he has a great marriage because he chose the right woman. Then she says, I hope that they would realize that they have a great marriage because they both chose God. And that's it's so true. Like, I love that. I think a lot of problems in marriage are because we go to our spouse for validation first we don't go to our god for validation first which doesn't work because our spouses are human they're men we're mad right. kind and so we're not god and we're gonna fail at some point if we go to them for that validation and so when we go to god for our validation our spouse's validation is just like the added icing on that cake from heavenly father is love that he gives us and we don't have to hustle for his love our worth was set that's what i love our worth was set before we came here we don't have to hustle for it we don't have to work extra hard for it um there's this video that we watch and i don't remember who says that he's a preacher but he's all god loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us and he says because he loves us like 30 more times. And I'm like, that it's, is it's called the inheritance. Okay. Then, I want to like put that link like in the show notes. And it's it, seriously, I've actually done church talks off of this piece right here because it is, it is so beautiful. And it's so the point of the true love that God has for us. And that's where I get the, the information about, you know, he doesn't love us um, because we're going to try harder. And it talks about all that kind of stuff. And it is just, we get our beautiful. validation from him and his love. And then, our marriages are just so much better. And I think people recognize that in people who have God at the head of their marriage. I think people, I've, I know people, you are people, those people. I have examples of those kind of people in my life that I'm like, what is so special about them? Like what makes their marriage so special? And every single one, God is leading their marriage. See, and I can't underemphasize what you just said. That God leads their marriage because if you would have if you would have done what the world would say, you wouldn't be in this marriage today. Right. That's and true. and if you would have listened to other people, 
you wouldn't be in this marriage today. You had to listen to yourself and you had to, as you mentioned before, uh, allow God to be part of that triangle, to be part to part of that uh, partnership yeah. there. And so as important as that is, let's just talk for a minute about uh, the things that you do every day. You mentioned five things that you do as check-ins. We, right? did, we did that. In the beginning, for a long time. we don't right. do it as for often quite a few now. years after that. Uh-huh. Like you talked about, what does recovery look like mm-hmm. every day? Now is a little bit different than in the beginning. When I, we would but say I, I still, I still have dailies that, that I do. Um, one of them is I keep um, some keys, and I actually just left them because I was changing so quick to get out of here. Um, <laughs> but there's, I went to what's called the Warrior Heart Boot Camp, and it's a, it's a based off a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And it's a three-day weekend just all about your connection with God, learning how to be the man that we're supposed to be, how to fight for our wives' hearts and how to fight for our kids' hearts, and most of all, how to fight for our our own heart. And through my addiction, I didn't know that I ever should fight for my own heart. I was too busy trying to please everybody else. I didn't realize I should fight for my own heart. But as I went to this boot camp, it completely changed my life. And change my view on God's true love for me. And so there, we get dog tags at the boot camp. The first one that was held here was in Utah in 2009. And I'm like, I want to be a part of this. And so as I um, keep those, I keep that dog tag on my keys because um, it's a daily reminder of what I need to fight for. I need to fight for Autumn's heart. I need to fight for my kids' heart. And I need to fight for my heart. And I need to fight for my connection with God. Because it is, it's something, it's a relationship. It's something that I still have to continue to do. And so that's part of my daily every day. The other part of my dailies is, you know, when I first started, when I started making these life changes, or lifestyle changes, I was like, what can I do different? And part of that is, I want to learn how to love my wife again. So I started praying to God. And I'm like, hey, show me the things that I love about my wife. Open my eyes to that again so I can see how I can love her again. I want to love her again, but I don't know how. And so he started showing me all these things that I fell in love with Autumn from the very beginning that I lost through my addiction. I lost that sight of through my addiction. And, and so I started seeing her in a different way. I started focusing on all these beautiful things about my wife instead of focusing on all these negative things about her. So I started seeing her in a totally different light. And those prayers don't change. I still pray to this day. I have over 12 years of sobriety and those prayers still don't change because I'm like, I don't ever want to lose sight of what I love about my wife. I love her to death and I just, I pray about it every day because it's something that, that makes me happy and it's something that I can focus on instead of being focused on all these negative things and getting resentful. And part of my um, thing is I don't negotiate with my addiction. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, I don't get on Facebook and just start browsing and looking at things and stuff because, yeah, there's not pornography on there, but I know where it will take me because pretty soon just women in swimsuits are it's not going to be enough, and then it'll take me down this other road, and then pretty soon the pornography isn't going to be enough, and it'll take me down this road, and I'm so I don't negotiate with my addiction that way, but also with with women I don't um, I made a pact with myself and. I was like, there's, I don't uh, go to lunch with women alone. I don't ride in cars with women alone. And I was on, for five years, I was on the Women's Council Realtor, um, the Board of Realtors. um, And 
I was on that board for five years. And so one of them, they were, we were like, Hey, we're going to go golfing. And it was up North and two of them were already living up North. And one of them lived down here. And she's like, Hey Chris, and this is, I'm the only guy out of like, there's like 11 or 12 other women that were there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Hey Chris, do you want to ride together? And I said, no, I don't. And she's uh, she's like, really? Like kind of cat, you know, like funny. And, and she's like, really? And I said, yeah. I said, I don't ride with women alone. I don't think it's appropriate. And all the heads looked at me. All the women looked at me and they're like, that's so awesome. And I'm like, because I don't want to negotiate with my addiction. I don't care who knows about my addiction now. And I don't care about how people feel about, you know, you know, that I wouldn't be afraid to say something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where some guys are like, oh, I don't have your feelings. And I'm like, I don't care. What I care about is my my um, recovery. That's more important to me than some other person's feelings. And Autumn's feelings are more important to me than those other feelings. You know, I love so many things that you've said in this last little bit here. The one, the no negotiating. It's powerful. You know, boundaries, you don't negotiate. Because when we negotiate with them, we get hurt right. and we hurt others. That's just what happens. But the other thing I love when you talked about your prayers and your dailies, you know, for me, if I stop doing those, those things every day that keep me connected with God, that keep me connected with, with Mark, um, that help me feel healthy, you know, physically, spiritually, emotionally, if I, if I miss a day, I'm more likely to miss the next day. And the next day, and right. I start to slip. And so it has to happen daily mm-hmm. for its protection. Well, and in the beginning of recovery, you know, he was going um, to SA. He was going to group fit for therapy. He was seeing our bishop. Um, a lot of people start with the 12-step program, then they'll do like 90 meetings in 90 days. And now we're 12 years down the road and it looks differently. I feel like it's a maintenance phase in recovery and I'm in that maintenance phase mm-hmm. too as a spouse. It's, you know, I do different, my stuff differently. I actually though just started going, um, doing 12 step meeting for spouse, family and friends again, just because I felt a prompting that I needed to open my book and redo the steps. 